listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. This Lenten season, we've titled our series, Out of the Shadows. And there's quite a few people, I think, in the shadows of the text that that uh, K- Carolyn uh, had read for us earlier. Um, Caroline, excuse me. Um, you know, the, the Ten Commandments are pretty familiar. But when, when the, I heard them this morning, I'm reminded by the fact that it starts, God says that I'm going to give you these commandments to live because I've brought you out of slavery. But then... As it was listing the commandments, you know, you'll, you'll have no other gods before me, no graven image, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. On that remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, it wasn't just for the Jewish men, the Hebrew men, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But they were also not to allow their slaves to work. Uh, uh What? <laughs> Like, these are the people who've been brought out of slavery. And one of their first big ten rules is that they're not supposed to work on Saturday and they're not supposed to let their slaves or make their slaves work on Saturday. Anybody? Like, the question there is, why do they have slaves? You know, don't let your animals work on Saturday. And then... As we work on down the list, the last one, you're not supposed to covet. But on the list of things you're not supposed to covet is another man's spouse or their donkey or their slaves. So once again, it's another reference to this group of people who had been brought out of slavery having slaves. And I should also mention, I'm sure my wife would want me to mention, that on the list of the things that a man owns that another man shouldn't covet is his spouse. Like, she's on the list of things that are owned. Like, once again, I think that's, that's troublesome. Like, if that doesn't trouble you, I'm concerned. Um, your spouse is not your property. Uh, and you should not own other people as property. Maybe especially if you were from a group who had been owned, right? Who had been delivered from slavery. So these Ten Commandments are, are a bit more troublesome or a bit more problematic than perhaps we've previously considered. I mean, if we're just to, to pause for a moment and think about them, that first one, you'll have no other gods before me. So several things kind of, uh, several things kind of, red flags kind of pop up for me. On the one hand, to have no other, to say that you can have no other gods is strikingly (laughs) un-American. Now now obviously these were the Hebrews and they weren't American. But in our constitution, our, the U.S. Constitution, in the Bill of Rights, right, so the first, the first Amendment to the Constitution, it's this big rule, right? And it says that we have freedom of religion. 
So we can either worship God or not worship God, or we can worship any God we want. Like, that's American. But this says you cannot worship any other God. So that's, okay, I got you. This is for the Hebrews. This is not necessarily an American way of living. But then it begs this question. To say you should not worship any other God? Well, how many gods do they think there were? Like, I, I, thought, I thought Jewish people were monotheist, kind of like Christians. Like, there only is one God. But if your rule is you can't worship any other God, that presupposes that you believe that there are other gods, which is exactly what the ancient Hebrews believed because that's what everybody in the ancient Near East believed. There were the gods of the Egyptians. There were the gods of the Canaanites, the various groups, the Philistines, the Edomites, the Ammonites. There were the gods of the Assyrians or the gods of the Babylonians. Later, when the Greeks came to town, they learned they're the gods of the Greeks. Or when the Persians came to town, they're the gods of the Persians. And if we're going to be frank, um, the Hebrews did not always follow that rule very well. That, that is, you only worship this, this one God. Because they would often worship other gods, and that's what got them in trouble. And eventually would, would result in the exile, right? Babylon coming and, and Israel being kind of set in that kind of cosmic timeout chair for about 70 years. That's a long time out. <laughs> Your kids think they have to sit, stand in the corner or however, however you have um, disciplined your children over the years. Imagine that. You're going to have to stand in the corner for 70 years <laughs> and then you get to come back. <laughs> then you get to come back. So it was a rule. It was the first rule. It seems to suggest all sorts of things that don't quite fit. And, and I'm a bit troubled by how that, the rest of those after that play out. Particularly that idea about keeping Sabbath means not just for you, but for your male and female slaves. Or coveting means not just to covet your neighbor's stuff, but don't covet they're slaves. Don't cover, covet their wife. So if we're focusing in our text on this idea of out of the shadows, the people in the shadows of this text, the people that are not in the spotlight, but are kind of sitting out on the edges, would certainly be those people who don't have voice, don't have agency, they're people who could be owned as property. And what might this mean for them? And so we see this division between this is going to be the Hebrews, right? This is going to be your rules. This is this, is this God and Moses and these people who are the descendants of Abraham, right? So this is a very uh, exclusive group, right? It's not for the world. It's for the Hebrews, but if we fast forward into the epistle passage for today, right, what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he's talking about Jesus Christ and how Jesus is for the world. That He talks about the crucifixion of Jesus, that the crucifixion of Jesus is a stumbling block for the Jews and it's foolishness for the Gentiles. And so 
all these different groups, both the, the group that it was for and the group that it was not for, all seemed to resist this kind of gospel message of Jesus' crucifixion. We have, historically, been really good at kind of bifurcating things, at dualism, at kind of a binary thinking. It, it plagues our culture. Like everything is us versus them. It's this versus that. Everything has been reduced to this kind of binary again, this kind of two options. And you're on a spectrum and you get pushed apart and you have to choose. Uh, this happens in, it seems like everything. Certainly in politics, you're us versus them. Uh, in, in all matters of kind of social engagement, it's an us versus them. You're either in or you're out. You're up or you're down. You're black or you're white. You're left or you're right. And that idea has even come to express how we talk about the gospel. We talk about the gospel in ways that are binary or dualistic or bifurcated. I mean, how many of you have heard this before? That there's this kind of evangelical part of the gospel. It's about the salvation of our souls. That Jesus died to save our souls so we can go to heaven when we die. And that's the main part of the gospel. And then, I guess there's also this other message of the gospel over here that has something to do with deliverance or healing or, or liberation of some sort, right? So that part of the gospel message would be to feed the hungry or house the homeless or clothe the naked, right? And if you, can, if you have time to get to that, then great. But the... The heart of the gospel is the salvation of their soul. You heard that before? Like this evangelical gospel and then that kind of social gospel. So you can feed them a sandwich. That's great if you've got time. But if you don't tell them about the news of Jesus, they might have a full stomach, but they go to hell. <laughs> yeah. So you got to tell them about Jesus. And it's more important to tell them about Jesus than it is to give them a sandwich. Because if you tell them about Jesus, they can still go to heaven when they die. That idea that has kind of separated the gospel into two sections has a very unfortunate origin in the modern world. Like that pulling those things apart, I think, has nothing to do with the God of creation and the God who is revealed in the Old and New Testaments. Like, that gospel is a gospel that is full, that is whole, that is uh, body and soul, not just one or the other. And at least the modern origin of that, of that binary, that split, actually starts in the late 17th and early 18th century during the time of what is known as the Great Awakening, it was a big revival that had taken place. It kind of started in England and it spread throughout the English colonies. There was this a mass kind of conversion to Christianity. But, it, but there's a problem with it. The problem with it is that 
it, it pre presented a version of the gospel that was so bifurcated, that was so kind of focused just on the interior work of a person, that it actually left the institution of slavery unchallenged, right? And so you all know I'm Pentecostal, grew up Pentecostal, teach at a Pentecostal college. And one of the things that Pentecostals like to say is that the Pentecostal revival at the beginning of the 20th century was multicultural. It was multinational. It was multigender, right? That it was overcoming those things. And we, we do. We celebrate those things. It's a, it's, you know, there's happened in several different places in Kansas and North Carolina, but this big revival in Los Angeles from 1906 to 1909 and, and the work that that did. But the, the problem is that was a bit of a flash in the pan. It didn't last, right? It didn't take long until they were marginalizing women. And it didn't take long until they were marginalizing uh, people of color, right? The, the, the impulse to, of the spirit, which I think is always to unify, kind of was driven apart. I think the same thing actually happens in the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, the spirit is poured out People speak in tongues. All these folks from these different languages hear the mighty works of God in their own dialect, in their own language, right? And they come together with unity. Peter preaches and thousands of people come to faith. They share the things that they have in common. But those other impulses, those natural ways of, of people kind of isolating others and and lording over others and, and marginalizing others starts to kind of find its way in. So Ananias and Sapphira hold back their finances, right? And then there's this debate about the more Hebraic widows have been cared for, but the Hellenistic, the Greek widows, haven't been cared for. That's why we end up getting the deacons appointed. But that, that, that force that's trying to pull us apart it didn't stop there. I mean, that's why I think later in the New Testament we'll hear the Apostle Paul coming back and hitting this drum over and over. So a relatively young Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and he says to the Galatians, look, we're neither male nor female. We're slave nor free. We're, we are Jew nor Greek. We are one. We're coming together. Paul, a rather older Paul now, at the end of his life, he's in prison in Rome, and he's writing to the church in Colossia, and guess what he says? Hey, folks, I've been telling you this for like the last 25 years, but we are neither slave nor free. We're neither Jew nor Greek. We're neither male nor female. Why is he having to hit this again and again and again, decade after decade after decade? Because what the Spirit is doing to pull us together, to unite us, the, the world is kind of broken and the forces in the world is trying to push us apart. So when you, when you experience those impulses that would want to kind of distance you from others, for you to kind of judge the other, for you to, to say, well, I guess, you know, that idea about the salvation of soul, certainly that's true. So, you know, I'm not saying that feeding the hungry is not important, but certainly it's of a second priority, right? We're allowed to kind of separate those things. I mean, it's exactly, it's exactly what was happening 
uh, with the folks who were trying to share the gospel with enslaved people. So much so that they took large sections of scripture out of scripture. Like we don't want the enslaved people reading about the exodus, the delivery of the slaves. Except that even those slaves seem to have some slaves. Even those slaves seem to kind of engage in a conquest. Do you see what we're up against here? That they're all, the light has shined, but it has cast some shadows. And I think what we're called to do is kind of enter the shadows. I mean, in some ways, that's exactly what Lent, this season that we're in, is all about. It's setting things aside. It's denying ourselves either some food or some rest or some activity. It's replacing that with some, with some time with God. This, this activity of Lent that starts on Ash Wednesday and kind of ends with the celebration of the resurrection, right? It commemorates the time of Jesus in the wilderness. And the, the Hebrews are in the wilderness when they get these, you know, ten rules. And it prepares us for the celebration of Easter. And that celebration is, I think, one of the great unifying events, or maybe the great unifying event, right? We see who God is on the cross. We see Jesus kind of holding these things together. Not, not I mean, being pulled apart maybe in the process, but but the resurrection of Jesus is this affirmation of the, of the goodness of the body. Like God created and it was good. And Jesus came and was a human. And though, and though they killed him, God raised him from the dead. And he didn't just raise his soul from the dead. It's not like Jesus died and went on to heaven like grandma died and went on to heaven. Right? Jesus, his body was resurrected. That's, that's the Christian faith, a bodily resurrection. And so we can embrace that sense of a bodily resurrection as the goodness of the body, which, again, I think holds these things together. Like we can't, we can't follow this same old line of kind of dualistic, dualistic kind of binary thinking that pulls these things apart. Because... That's not the full gospel. Now, the full gospel, again, in my context, growing up, was, was a key word. Like, we used that term, full gospel. But we used it in an oddly kind of elitist kind of way. So for us, the full gospel meant we weren't just saved, we were saved and baptized in the Spirit, right? We just weren't baptized in water we, we were baptized in the Spirit. We spoke in tongues. So we had the full gospel, right? And I guess those other Christians just had kind of like the half gospel, <laughs> right? So uh, I've, heard, I've heard Chris Green say this before. If, if you think you're being filled with the Spirit and somehow being filled with the Spirit makes you better than other people, it's not the Spirit of God you're filled with. Like the Spirit of God doesn't give you a sense of elitism, right? Being filled with the Spirit would make you humble. Being filled with the Spirit would make you more like Christ. To be filled with the Spirit would make you, like Christ is, a servant of all. The one who came to be served, not, 
excuse me, the one who came to serve, not be served. <laughs> Almost got that exactly wrong. <laughs> uh, as I say sometimes to my children, you guys understand what I'm trying to say. Um, that, that passage from 1 Corinthians also said this. It said that preaching is kind of foolishness. The very fact that people could hear preaching and somehow believe and be transformed is a miracle of God. And you can appreciate that, right? You're not supposed to say yes to that one, but anyway, we can all appreciate that. That this, 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 is, this doesn't seem like it should work this way. It is, it is kind of upside down. But that kind of upside down way, that kind of, I don't know if it's just countercultural or counterintuitive, but it is the gospel. And so we are folks who have been in the shadows. Like, un un unless you are a descendant, like a biological descendant of Abraham, this was not, these texts, this original text from, from Exodus was not given to you. It was given to someone else. You were part of the shadows. But in Christ, you've been invited in. To be in Christ is to come out of the shadows into the marvelous light. But we can't forget about other people who are still in the shadows. Like, our life is for them. There's various ways in which this could be said, I guess. We're not so much saved from the world as we are saved for the world. That God is not just a light to us, but God is a light to and through us. That Jesus works in our lives so that we then can become the body of Christ in the world. That's exactly what we say when we come to the table. We talk about, we pray a prayer. God, send your spirit down on these elements to make them the body and blood of Christ. And then like St. Augustine would say to his church in Northern Africa, he'd say, behold what you are and become what you receive. Behold what you are. I'm a sinful man. A sinful person. But become what you receive. You're receiving the body of Christ. So become the body of Christ. And in doing so, we can, we can participate in God's salvation of the world. This, this event that we have, it's not this Tuesday night, but next Tuesday night, right? March the 16th. It's the peace event at, at um, what's the name of the drive-in? Silver Moon, thanks. At Silver Moon Drive-In. This is a quintessential act of justice. Like we can do things like the Good Samaritan that's, that kind of meets someone's need. And, and this, again... This is just another expression. This is not either or. It's not this or that. As, as I've told you before, I had a, a mentor I loved in my life who, who, who referred to the conjunction or as a tyrant, the tyrant of or, right? That kind of, it's this or that, right? It's not this or that. It's both and. It's both a social gospel and an evangelical gospel, right? It's both the liberation of the body and the salvation of the soul. That's why we titled today's sermon, Body and Soul. So it includes the various aspects of us 
and the various aspects of us. That's, that's who we are. And so, as the Good Samaritan story, that, that's a very kind of meet the need of the person story. Moses, on the other hand, when he goes to Pharaoh, is not really so much meeting the need. I mean, he didn't like provide water or food for those who are enslaved. He goes to Pharaoh and tries to change the system. Let my people go. That's an act of justice. And that's what we are attempting to do with our fellow churches in Lakeland as we speak to the powers that be, the county commissioners and the mayors and the, the folks who kind of determine the budgets to say, hey, there are folks who need more affordable housing. And hey, there needs to be some criminal justice reform, not just in general, but, but right here in Polk County. And, and we have some solutions that we'd like to suggest for, so you could come and work at that. It's that activity, right, that we're trying to engage in. That is a full gospel. I almost titled the sermon that today, a full gospel, right? Body and soul, Jews and Gentiles, us and them. Like, that's who we are. That's who we are. It's who our God is. It's who God made us to be. There are forces that push us in different ways, but we have the spirit of God, the spirit of creation, the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of unity that pulls us together. And that's, that's the voices I hope to hear. I think it's literally the voice of the spirit calling to us out of the shadows calling us to hold these things together. And I think holding those things together places us very much so in a kind of a cruciform stance, right? We're holding body and soul together. We're holding this kind of social gospel and evangelical gospel together. We're trying to hold, you know, other, other divisions, race or gender or politics or economics or nationality. We're trying to hold those things together. And in doing so, we end up standing, right, just like Christ stood in this kind of sacrificial space. Following our Lord. Because as he said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And that's what I want for myself, and that's what I want for us. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.